0: Well, it's my joy to introduce to you today not one, but two great chapel speakers for the day. We have Dr. Kevin Watson and Dr. Scott Kisker here uh, to talk to us about not only their expertise academically and an area that they have both studied extensively, but an area that has touched them both very personally in their personal experience and their experience in community. First, a little bit about them. Uh, Dr. Scott Kisker is the professor of church history and associate dean for master's programs at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. He's also an ordained elder in the Iowa Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. And his books include Longing for Spring, Mainliner Methodist, and Foundation for Revival. He is married to Roberta and has five children. Dr. Kevin Watson is Assistant Professor of Wesleyan and Methodist Studies at Candler School of Theology at Emory University, and he is an ordained elder in the Oklahoma Conference of the United Methodist Church. Uh, His books include Pursuing Social Holiness, The Class Meeting, and A Blueprint for Discipleship. And he is married as well to Melissa, and they have three children. Um, These two have written a book for Seedbed, which is a part of Asbury, in case you didn't know that, and that book is called The Band Meeting, and I think we have a picture of that there. And this book has been transformative to so many of us who are walking this path of small group discipleship together, and that we are hoping at Asbury that many of you will learn to walk together while you're here and continue to for the rest of your ministries. Just as a personal um, testimony to this, um, I'm part of a Wesleyan band, and I think we have a picture of my band here of five uh, female clergy, um, female pastors, and we meet together. We're scattered across the country, but the book, The Band Meeting, has been so personally helpful to us as a group and so transformational. It gives a foundation for theology and practice, and we have appreciated that as we've journeyed together through both the highs and lows of our life together. You'll have a chance to engage in this kind of small group discipleship. Um, If you don't have a group that you meet with, we want you to come to the DNA meeting tonight at 7 o'clock to join a DNA group. If you are part of a group and you want sort of a refresher and some new information and to be part of this movement at Asbury, we also want you to come tonight at 7 I also want to let you know that today at noon, right after this chapel, uh, we'll be having a talkback session with both of the speakers in the Cordelia area of the cafeteria, and you can just come, bring your food, show up there, ask any questions, or just listen for more of what they have to say. Um, These two speakers are not only people that I have admired in ministry, I I first heard them speak about um, their book, The Band Meeting, and give a testimony of their experience at the New Room Conference, which is sponsored by Seedbed, but they are both uh, dear friends of mine. Both of them have ministered to me in my own ministry, have prayed for me, and I for them. And so it's a joy to have people like that here. They have deeply invested in the church, in the forming of students for ministry, and in the reclaiming of the deep, great hope of Wesleyan discipleship that is the future of the church. So I want you to welcome them, listen carefully, uh, not only to their expertise, but their experience and their heart. Will you come and speak to us today?
1: good morning hi good morning uh, I'm Scott Kisker and this is Kevin Watson um, and uh, you know we've given this talk once before at, uh, at at a new room conference and so we're kind of redoing it again um, I do want to give a greetings from my institution to the north uh, United Seminary but you and you also want to know that you, you asked a, ch- a couple of church historians uh, to talk to you. So I want to begin our sermon today, our time of testimony, which is really what this is, um, with some history about this practice that, we, uh, that we're a part of. Um, once upon a time, the church was in a mess. You
2: have to try really hard to remember
1: that time. There was corruption. Uh, There was division. And um, and actually, there uh, there was all outright violence that broke out. Um, Christians were killing other Christians for the sake of being correct. And Christians who were living in places where their views were not correct had to go move. And so one small group of persecuted Christians started on the move and were looking for a place to go. And they, they found a, a, a rich guy uh, in Germany who would give them space on his, um, on his estate. So small group of these Christians come and, and, and they go there. And, and, and they start living together. And more refugees join this community. And what happens when Christians come together and try to live together? Anyone? Conflict. <laughs> they couldn't get along, and so the 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 prince of this territory, who was often in the capital, uh, you know, doing his princely duties for the court, hears about all this conflict on his on his estate. He comes back and he says, "Okay, we gotta we gotta institute something." Uh, to try and resolve this conflict. And so he established something called bands. And these were small groups where they, according to St. James, confessed their sins one to another that they might be healed. Men and women. That uh, was in, I'm looking up the number here, May of 1727. In August of 1727, this group, small group of Christians, was worshiping together and had a powerful experience of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in worship. And they began to send out missionaries. They started sending out lay people, first Christians to send out lay people as missionaries. And one of the people that they encountered when they sent out these missionaries was a guy named John Wesley and his brother Charles. They were, had been members of religious societies, which were also kind of a small group movement begun by Anglican Pietists. But together, they set up a new kind of group where they formed a new society where the members were broken into these bands, like the Moravians, that group that I was telling you about. And in these bands, they would answer five questions. Here are the five questions. What sins have you committed since we last met? i got to look at them. What temptations have you met with? How were you delivered? Is there anything you or don't know is a sin? And then the fifth one, is there anything you desire to keep secret? Groups of men or women gathered together and they answered these questions every week in order to be known, to know, and to walk in the light as He is in the light so that the blood of Jesus would cleanse them of all sin.
2: So, The sort of next step of this is thinking about how the band meeting functions in Methodist sort of ecology and its understanding of salvation. Uh, And the way that I think about this is, you know, you have these two small groups that we've actually already heard about: uh, the class meeting, which every Methodist was required to be a part of. Um, If you missed your class more than a handful of times in a quarter, you were simply removed from Methodism. Um, you could join again later if you wanted to, but you had to be on probation again, which is, at least in my world, in the United Methodist Church, we have a different understanding of membership now, where um, sometimes you can be dead for a long time and still uh, be a member in good standing. Um, so we had a different understanding of discipline back in the, the early days of Methodism. You think? Um, but the band meeting was a voluntary group. It wasn't required, though. It was highly encouraged for people who had faith in Christ, um, and it was for people who we're really on the way of salvation, right? We're serious about the whole purpose of Methodism, which is um, being all in in your relationship with Christ, um, growing in holiness uh, to the point of being entirely sanctified or made perfect uh, in love. And this is the place that gets me really excited. It's why I'm a Methodist. I actually believe that God does this. I believe that it's possible. I believe that we can experience a victory over the ways of sin and death in our lives because on this side of the resurrection, I don't think we have excuse theologically to say that sin is a necessary and essential part of the Christian life, um, though we so often voluntarily and willfully participate um, in it. And so the band meeting was the engine of holiness in Methodism. It was the place where uh, this brought, was brought to life, had power, uh, and it was through this difficult, humble practice, right, of coming together week after week um, and telling the truth about these five questions. Um, We often talk about how the answer to the fifth question has to initially be able to just be yes, um, because it can be difficult initially to to jump in and say, yeah, I have things that I would like to keep secret, and here's what they are. But at, at least saying yes is actually a step towards bringing that into the light. And the reason that I get charged up about this is because I've seen what happens when you bring it into the light, right? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the things that we choose to keep in the darkness continue to have power over us, continue to have power over our lives. And it's really hard to tell the truth about the things that we're most ashamed of, the things that we most regret, the things that at some level we're aware still have power um, over our own lives. But this was a key starting point to to this process. I'll kick it back to you, I think that's a good segue.
1: Okay. Um, so uh, I know that, that a lot of times Protestants say, look, the whole point of the Protestant Reformation is I don't have to go to a priest to confess my sins, I can go straight to God, Jesus is my only mediator, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And <clears throat> uh, There is some truth in that. But we often forget that most of the time, if not all of the time, grace is mediated through the church, through actual people. I mean, there's natural healing that happens. But when supernatural healing happens, it's because somebody prays. Because somebody lays hands on you. And the same is true when we want healing from the inner mess that we've got. You know, ancient Christians um, uh, had a different anthropology than we do now, which since the Reformation, we throw everything in our heads, right? Um, They understood everything a little bit more holistically, right? Your, 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 Your way of thinking was in your head. Your way of desiring was in your heart. And your way of feeling, emotional life was in your gut. And the problem is that none of that is actually ordered by the Logos of God when you are born. Like your body has fallen, so is your soul. And uh, and the only way to deal with this craziness is to bring it into the light before your brothers and sisters and allow yourself to experience the means of grace of being genuinely loved. As a means by experiencing the genuine love of God, hmm. I forgot what I'm supposed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have Bonhoeffer down here. Yeah, Bonhoeffer. <laughs> uh, uh, he has a book called Life Together in which he he says, and he's you know he's a good Lutheran, so you know for for all you super hyper Protestants out there. Um, You know, he talks about how, like, why is it that you find it so easy to come before the one who is perfect holiness and confess your sins, but you can't come before another human being who you know is a complete mess and tell them your sins. It's probably more likely, he says, that you're just confessing to yourself and forgiving yourself. Mm -hmm. And you're on a cycle of pretending. And a cycle of defeat. And you never actually experience the healing love of God at the deeper and deeper levels that you need to experience it so that you can actually experience freedom. You know, so often, especially in our, um, you know, consumerist society, we want instant gratification, right? We want, we want fix me, Jesus, right? We want some high experience that's going to, you know, I'm going to come with my sin. I'm not going to tell anybody about it, of course, but I'm going to go to some massive worship service. I'm going to come to the altar. I'm going to pray to Jesus, and I'm going to get zapped by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be fixed. I don't think that's God's will for most people. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. God is sovereign and does whatever God wants to do. But God created us for intimacy and community. And God's general means by which he instituted that we be saved from our sins is actually in community. I'm going to kick it over to you now. Let me start giving a little testimony. Yeah,
2: I want to testify to that. Um, So the way that Scott just talked about this kind of cycle of pretending, I mean... I've been excited to do this today in a way that I don't normally get excited uh, to, to talk about this stuff because really this is kind of the closest context I could get to to where this really happened for me where it started. So I was in seminary um, and I was, uh, I was in seminary because God had called me into ordained ministry, uh, into leadership in the church, um, and yet I felt as alone as I had ever felt in my entire life. Um, and I don't know about you, but most my experience is that we don't usually make our best decisions, best life choices, uh, when we feel like we're alone and um, alienated from people around us. And so I started doing things that I knew were bringing me farther and farther away from the Lord and God's will for my life. I started backsliding, to use kind of the old Methodist language.
1: It's also in um, the Bible. <laughs> Sorry Thank you for that.
2: <laughs> and as that as that started happening, there was you know it, it's a horrifying experience that some of you may be able to relate to right now. That you're here because God did something, and you want to be faithful to it. I remember hearing um, Dr. Tennant say in the opening convocation, like nobody comes to Wilmore unless God calls them here, right? So, so you start with the assumption that you're here because. God did something, God called you, and then these sort of betrayals of your yourself are just brutal, right? They, they hurt, but for me there was also something about that that paradoxically made it easier to do again, and then again, and then again, and each time I would feel terrible, I would feel wretched, I would hate myself, I would feel sorry, I would tell God I was sorry, but I felt powerless. I felt like I was you know, in a raft drifting away from the ship that could save me, and there was nothing I could do about it. Um, and in that space, a friend of mine that uh, really was probably in that year of seminary the only person I kind of saw as a friend, but I wouldn't actually say I felt especially close to um, in a deep way, uh, came up to me one day, and he actually literally handed me a copy of the Rules of the Band societies. So it was like such a seminary thing to do and uh, and he said i'm in this group, and uh, we've been praying about asking you to join us, and we feel like we're supposed to do that and so we wanted to give you a chance to know what we 're about and basically read this this eighteenth century document and uh, and pray about whether or not you want to join this so I read it, and I was like, Wow, this is really intense and I do have things I want to keep secret and I'm not going to tell you. So I did what a lot of people do in those situations. I just pretended like it didn't happen, right? It was sort of like, that was awkward. Uh, let's just move on and be superficial friends. That was easier for me. Um, but the Lord just kept bothering me about it. He just kept bothering me about it. And I, I couldn't sort of forget about the invitation. And so several weeks went by. And one of the things that I am grateful for looking back is how patient they were with me. The door didn't close. It stayed open. Um, But they were willing to wait. And eventually I just knew I needed to say yes. And so I approached my friend and basically was like, "Uh, is, is that offer still available? And he said, of course. And so the first time I went to that group, we were sitting, I can still remember the room that we were in. We would get our lunch, we'd go to this classroom and meet in it. Scott was in the group, by the way. And part of my story is that Scott was one of my professors at the time. Um, And part of what's always wrecked me about my entrance into a band meeting was imagine what it's like to be a professor who is answering these five questions to your students, right? The humility that that requires uh, and the, the, the desperation for holiness. You only do this if you just want Jesus that badly and you're tired of not being the person that you know God calls you to be and who you're able to be only by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So the first week I got my lunch, went in there, and intentionally, no one talked about it in front of me, but you could just tell it was one of those things that had been done before. The person to my left answered all of the questions, and then the person next to them went, so that every person in the group had confessed. None of them held back, and I could tell that because I was in the group for a long time. right? And, and then it was my turn. Um, and I remember just the feeling, the weight of the gift that had been given to me, that I could do whatever I wanted to with that gift. I could say, Dr. Kisker, I'm really sorry I didn't actually do all my reading and evangelism this week. Um, I confess that to you. Because right? um, that was your biggest problem. <laughs> yeah, because that was, that was what I really needed to get out there, right? But that, um, And I already knew. <laughs> We always do, um, <laughs> you don't hide it as well as you think you do. And I realized that I had just been given totally a gift that I could, could receive and then receive by entering fully into it, even though it was terrifying, or I could receive it sort of half-heartedly and confess sins that I was comfortable admitting to. And only by the grace of God, I was able to just jump into the deep water and tell the truth about those things that I really needed to tell the truth about. Um, and part of I have to cut a lot of corners in some ways, but, but I want to actually cut to the end of this story for me. It's really the present. It's not the end. But um, I hope I can, can do this. My mother had surgery last Wednesday um, for cancer, and so I flew back to Oklahoma to, uh, to be with my family. Um, in my band meeting that I meet with now, we meet on, on uh, Google Hangouts, and it's four pastors and me. Uh, 60% of our band meeting is uh, Asbury graduates. Um, and they are pastors in Oklahoma and Arkansas. Um, and I kind of have a thing about gifts. I have this, I don't know if it's actually my love language, but it's a place where I sort of crave to feel loved. And so I find myself scanning for like the gift that would make me feel whole somehow, which I know is not how that <laughs> works. But um, I'm, so I'm bad at anticipating things that people want to voluntarily do and, and sort of ruining it in a sense. It's, it's hard hard for people who want to show love to me in that way. Um, And so the fact that I went into the room that was like the pre-op room for my mom, my brother and I left so that she could change into the the gown for her surgery, and we walk out and around the corner comes the four men in my band meeting, which I just had zero expectation of, no, had not crossed my mind, um, that they would drive two and a half hours each way. They're all, you know, successful pastors growing churches and being used by God in powerful ways. And um, and part of that means that they're busy, but they have had God working on them in a way that they knew this was a priority, right? Even though they didn't really have time for it, um, but they made time because they love me that much, <laughs> which is is, a, is an amazing thing to receive. And what it also did for me is that it let me shift into just being my mother's son instead of being the one that I knew would be expected to pray for her before surgery. And so my friend Matthew gathered us all around her bed and prayed a really powerful prayer for my mom that I just got to receive and be a part of. And the thing is about this, the I mean, if I could do anything this morning to convince you to be in a group like this, if you're on the fence, even if you just think it's a terrible idea, if I could do anything to convince you to do it, I would. Because that kind of community cannot be manufactured in the moment when you most desperately need it. It can't be created when you most desperately need it. Um, And I'm in one of those seasons where I need to have brothers who are holding my arms up. And by the grace of God he has been faithful to provide them for me. And Scott is still one of them. We're not in a band together anymore, but he prayed powerfully for me last night and this morning, and um, we continue to, to pray for each other. Uh, and the, this happened for me when I was, if you're a seminary student now, when I was in your shoes, when I was sitting where you're sitting. I didn't go to a seminary where chapel space would have been given to encouraging us to do something like this. Um, and so I, I just I beg you not to take for granted the opportunity that you have to have this kind of help to figure out how to do this. One of the things that breaks my heart the most is people who know they need community and they can't figure out where to find it. And this this place is trying to help do everything. They're trying to remove as many obstacles as possible to you finding a place where you can be fully known and fully loved. Um, But it, it it will be comforting but superficial if you don't go all in. It will be comforting but superficial if you don't get real about the stuff that you already know you need to tell somebody with skin on and get on your knees and have them pray for you so that you can find breakthrough by a power that is not your own and that can never come through your own effort and exertion and will. I wouldn't be here today, and I mean that. I would not—I probably wouldn't be married. I don't know. I I just—I don't—I shudder to think where I would be and what my life would be like if— I hadn't said yes to that initial invitation and been beautifully ushered into this group by Scott and and the other brothers that were in that group with me and continued It's something I still have to have in my life or I will make shipwreck of my faith. But by the grace of God, I've learned that James 5.16 is actually true. You confess your sins not just because it's commanded in Scripture, but so that you can be healed of your sins, right? So that you can be sanctified, And then the last part that I've recently noticed is that then it says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And part of what happens is that I think the Lord sort of blesses us and gives back to us. As we actually grow in holiness, our prayers for each other um, tend to actually become more powerful. God tends to help us to pray in powerful and effective ways. And um, my group is... I had a friend who recently had this word of greenhouse, that for, for him, our band meeting was going to be a greenhouse for holiness, and it absolutely has been. Things have just been taken from us that needed to be taken. Power has been given to us that we lacked to have victory, um, and we're actually starting to thrive in our faith and not just limp along and make it through. Um, so I hope that this is something that you will uh, allow the Lord to convict you of and be faithful to respond to. That was probably too long, but yeah, that's what I, I wanted to say. Yeah, thanks for leaving me two
1: minutes for my testimony. Um, <laughs> I already told part of it. Yeah, you did. Uh, but but but, <laughs> And and here's the thing. This similar stuff, you know, I was, a, I was a brand new professor. I was actually not a professor at the time. I was an instructor, which is terrible because the pay is lousy. And um, I was living in D.C. and I was having my third child, and I was trying to finish my dissertation and blah, 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 and my life was spinning out of control, which is why I, you know, nobody goes into a band probably unless they recognize their own desperation. And here's the thing, we're actually all desperate. Some of us just put on a better face. All of us are completely messed up. That's the only empirically provable Christian doctrine, brothers and sisters, original sin. So, uh, you know, you're, you're a mess. And some of you um, have your little household gods that you brought with you to Asbury, and you keep them tucked away in a corner. And when you don't think that you know, stress becomes super high, and that's when you are liable to turn to those household gods, turn away from the God who actually created you and loves you and knows you, right? What, what this process of peeling back the onion of your own soul into deeper and deeper levels of your own shame, that's what it's about, and allowing God's light through your brothers or sisters to actually touch that part of you that keeps you hiding. That's what transforms you. Most important part of our meeting, you know, and, and two, two most important. One, don't lie. Just don't lie. Say, I'm not answering that question, or there are actually other sins I am not ready to confess today, or, or yes, I have secrets that God has brought to my mind, places of shame in my past, things I've done things that have victimized me that I don't want to talk about right now, but, I'm, but just don't lie. And the second thing that's really important is that after somebody gives their confession, that you as the church body, that somebody prays for them and pronounces the forgiveness of Christ, that in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The freedom that that produces This is why the church exists. This is why God created a community. You know, God didn't just create, you know, it was not good that man should be alone. It's community. It's always community. And I've been in a band since 2002, which makes it 17 years. Right? It's 2019. Good job. Um, Yeah, math is my subject. and i still have to i have to go to one every week and i never want to this mortifies your flesh nobody ever wants to confess their sins never most of us want to appear but here's the problem with appearing you create this facebook self of yourself you know the 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 the
2: He's not on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, so I have no idea.
1: But you know what? You know what I'm saying. You have like, you know, you create. I'm trying to be hip, man. I'm trying to like be with the young people. You create your avatar. You create your avatar that you present to the world that people will love. And no matter how much affirmation that avatar gets, no matter how much they love that, they're not loving you. So you're alone. In the band meeting, you start to lay this thing aside and allow yourself to actually be loved. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. You know, one of the things, when these band meetings started um, among Moravians and Methodists, they were part of, of repentance that sparked a revival that lasted for a hundred years. The Moravians had a 24-7 prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years. And the vibrancy of Moravianism and the existence of that prayer meeting and the existence of band meetings are almost together. There has never been a revival without a general repentance. If we're here at seminary because, you know, we want to preach well and we want to be in a big uh, church and, and we, want to, we want to see many people come to Christ, all those things are good. But if you don't want to be holy, none of it actually matters. Because we're just creating churches that are, again, avatars that the world will love. Mm. And not places of healing, of actual healing. So, I, I guess we invite the band to come up now. <laughs> Segway. Segway. I don't know how this all works. You know, I, um, we want to pray for you, um, and as the band plays, we're going to invite you to come to the altar. Some of you already know right now what it is that you, that God is telling you, the Holy Spirit is nudging you, that you need help with. There are things in your life that are slowly dragging you away from your call. Let us pray. You want to pray? You pray. I've been talking
2: come holy spirit yeah you are welcomed in this place i ask for freedom for yeah. us to bring to you what we need to bring and i ask that you would have your way with us in the name of jesus to the glory of god the father amen amen